Hi, it's Allison. On this episode of The Elements of Us, I speak with New York City-based therapist, Leslie Coppell. We talk about having difficult conversations, her prescription for embracing sadness, and why positivity is so important, especially in these times. We kick off by talking about what she recommends to her patients for navigating uncertainty. Let's listen in. So how, there are a lot of people right now just wrestling with a fear of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Are there tips that you would give them or things that you might counsel them to do to help them to overcome that or at least live with it? I was going to say there's no overcoming it. Mm -hmm. One has to recognize that they are a person that might have a lot of anxieties and sort of come to grips with that, but not let it cripple them. Um, I do talk to my patients and clients about this all the time. And I kind of have this visual in my own mind about standing at the top of a, of a hill and holding a ball of worry, call it the worry ball. And if you put that ball down and let it start to roll, it's going to pick up a lot of steam and it's going to get quite fast and spin out of control down the hill and into the future. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that as you explain that, I feel it in my stomach. Yeah, but that's what anxiety is. It's the uncertainty about the future. For you know, That's the majority of what anxiety is, is the unknown um, about what will happen next or at some point down the line. So if you hold on to the worry ball and you cradle it like a child almost, like I know you're there, but I'm not going to let you roll into the future. I'm going to deal with what I can deal with in this moment. Mm-hmm. And if, if we can do that, and it's really challenging for a lot of people, that's what mindfulness really is, but I like to bring it more into um, something more practical. You don't have to sit down in a room and say, Om and meditate and whatever, but it works for some, but not for everyone. Yeah. What, what do you know? about the moment you're in, in this moment. This is what's certain. This is what we know. And let's deal with that. And that is never as anxiety provoking, even the worst thing in the world. That's what you're dealing with. So you're just dealing with it. It's when you start to say, well, what about tomorrow? Where will I be in a week? Mm -hmm. What will I be doing in a year from now? What do I want? Where do I see myself in 10 years? Those questions are horrible. I can take the most well-adjusted person with no anxieties and turn them into a crumbling mess by asking those questions because nobody really knows. And that's what anxiety is. So for a lot of people, I say, look at your feet. Where are your feet right now? They're here in my home. I'm in my, in my kitchen, I'm cooking or, you know, whatever. Those are the things that you know. So if you start to feel that your worry ball is going down the hill, just hold on to it and see where you are now. Okay. I I love that. I want to talk to you about the sadness element because you believe that it's okay to be sad sometimes, like not just the big sad, like things like death or divorce, but also like disappointments. You have also shared that sometimes we could be sad about things that um, can be presumably happy things. So why is it, why is it A, okay to be sad? And why do you think it's important? 
So, I mean, you use the word sad, but um, I think it would, it, it also would encompass just having strong feelings about letting something go. Um, yes, the ultimate is saying goodbye or not even having the opportunity when someone dies. Mm-hmm. That's the ultimate um, letting go and the sadness. And But I think what our society doesn't realize is that those are the big ones. But every single day of our lives, we are letting go. We're saying goodbye to something in our past. And we know that there's a door opening into the future. So like even something like a graduation and everyone's celebrating the graduation of that's the door into the future. And that's a very happy, positive thing. You've worked for four years or whatever it is and you're graduating, but there's not enough recognition to some of the sad feelings you may have about leaving that and going to your next step. So I'm a big proponent in not just glossing over I'm not a I'm not a doom and gloom kind of person. I think you know that about me. I, so, I do know that. Yes. But I don't believe that we can be our happiest selves without understanding and acknowledging and recognizing the things that we are mourning and saying goodbye to every single day. Mm-hmm. Where we get older every single day. Um we, we, we move into different areas of our lives. Even with, you were saying, happy things, getting, you know, getting married. Well, it's a transition. And in, a, in that kind of situation, you're saying goodbye to a former life or having a baby. It's the most wonderful thing, right? But hello, where did your life go before <laughs> that? Your freedom and, <laughs> and all of that, it just disappears. So Women with postpartum blues, not depression, that's a different issue, but postpartum blues have to really examine that and say, I'm sad because I temporarily have lost the ability to go out to dinner with my husband without even thinking about it. And that carefree life for the moment is over. Get sad, cry about it for five minutes, and then you can move on. It's when you don't, and you don't understand why am I feeling so weird about this and why am I crying? This is supposed to be a happy time. Um, That's when we get into trouble. So it's okay to be sad. You also have a prescription for, for people who, who either are afraid to cry or don't like to cry or just might need a good cry. Can you share that? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll just correct it. It's not just okay to be sad. And that's my prescription. I actually mandate it. And again, I'm not a doom and gloom kind of person. I don't want the world no. crying all day long. We'll talk about your, your positive streak. Don't worry. Okay. okay. But um, I think it's really important that we give ourselves that time to be sad, to mourn, to cry, to let it out. Because when we don't, it can hurt us in so many different ways, and it may not be now. It may be five years from now. So, yes, my prescription, a lot of people are afraid to cry when they're sad um, because they think if they start, they won't be able to stop. So that's <laughs> one thing. And the other is that a lot of people aren't, they're not trained to cry. As kids, we're told, you know, Stop crying. You're fine. Get up. Wipe yourself off. Like, stop your tears. It's fine. Move on. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm asking people to do the opposite. And I give a prescription um, for people to create a playlist of songs, because I think music really speaks to this part of the soul. Um, so if you're mourning the death of a loved one, make a playlist of songs that are really sappy, that remind you of that person. And maybe that person never even heard this song before, but there's something about it that makes you think of them. And the prescription is, well, first of all, that's part of the prescription because making that song list is really hard for people. That's an exercise in and of itself that brings a lot of tears. But then the actual prescription is to get into the shower and turn on the playlist two to three songs maximum, get in the shower, feel the emotions that start to surge when you're hearing that song, conjure up your images, your memories, and anything that you are not allowing yourself to do on a regular basis and let it out. And the songs end and you are in the shower and you wipe your face, you know, the, the, the shower is washing away your tears. You turn off the water, you get a towel, you pat yourself off and you can then go on with your day pretending that you're not sad, which by the way, most people go the whole day pretending they're not sad, but it's exactly. eating them up inside. Yeah. And so they let it out. So you actually write this down on a pad for people. I do. I do. I'm not a doctor, but I can describe this. <laughs> I play one on TV. Yeah. So, hi. so you are not a doctor, um, but the other, one of the other things that I learned about you that I find to be a really special gift is that you are often called in um, by doctors or by hospitals to help facilitate uh, conversations at the end of people's lives conversations with their families so that they can express their feelings and really go and, and rest in peace and leave their loved ones uh, in, in a really good place as well. Um, that to me is a gift. First of all, I don't, I'm curious how you develop that gift. Uh, and I'm, I'm also, what I really want to hear about is how, how can we learn to have those conversations during our lives um, so that we're not waiting until the end. So how did you develop that gift? That's a, that's a gift. Um, I, thank you. I, I, I see it as it's a real privilege. So I was working at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and doing this kind of work and saw that it really was an area, even for top doctors, that they didn't want to discuss things with their patients, the end of life and when all of that happens. And I was seeing families in crisis where there was so much unspoken between the person who was departing us and the rest of the family and amongst everyone. So um, I just started to realize that they won't have that chance when their loved one is gone. So I, that's how I sort of got started with it. And the way that I look at my work and the way I'm able to be such a positive person, like, it, it sounds so sad and it is really sad. I'm not saying it's not, but sure. my lens is very different of how I look at my work. If I were the doctor treating that patient and they weren't going to make it that I don't know that I could do that mm -hmm. because there's nothing they can do and that's it. But in my work, I'm not curing 
their illness or getting them to continue to live, but I am 100% successful every single time at getting a family or you know, an individual to express things that would have gone unsaid. And I have people thanking me for years later. And I still work with some families who I've, who I worked with from that moment. And I still continue to see them who continue to thank me just to bring things out in the open. And nobody does that. Nobody, everyone thinks like, oh, don't, don't, don't want to talk about that. Right. But you have to talk about it. So, so, you know, I call it the candor element, but how do you get people to have candid conversations? How do you get them to get better at expressing their feelings or what's on their minds? Well, it's tricky. So it's easy for me when I'm actually working with those people, right? Because then I directly can, can tell them um, and guide them as they're doing it and we can do it together. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things like when I go into a hospital room, that's what I do. They're not alone. I'm not saying, okay, here's what you got to do now. Go. It's really challenging. So I'm there to guide them. It's a little trickier to teach someone how to do it who's never really seen this approach before. Mm -hmm. And most people haven't. In fact, our society trains you to do the very opposite. Like, no, 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 don't speak about that. Um, What comes to mind is when after someone passes away and a family member or a friend is left bereft. Do you know how many times their friends will say to me, oh, you know, let, let, let's say it's Mother's Day and, and someone's mother had just died. Oh, I'm not, not going to call her. It's Mother's Day. I don't want to make her sad. Mm-hmm. And what I say to them is like, are you, are you kidding? Do you think she's not sad? It's Mother's Day and her mom just passed away your calling her is not going to make her sad. In fact, the opposite. And I always say, it's fine to say, I have no idea what to say, but my heart is heavy thinking that it's Mother's Day and you just lost your mom. And I just wanted you to know I'm thinking of you. Right, and that's showing support, especially at a time when people are going through a really hard time. And it's easy you can want to say something, but being afraid, back to fear, of not saying the right thing often holds people back. Right. And you know, so you have a lot of experience conducting support groups and helping people to express. And usually those are people who are there to support each other, potentially because there aren't a lot of people who know what they're going through or know what to say. So what you're saying is, even if you say, not technically the right thing, just letting them know you're thinking about them and, and they're on your mind is, is a good kind of first step. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is there's no right thing to say. There are a few wrong things to say, but mm-hmm. um, you can't go wrong by just saying to someone, I don't know what to say. I'm at a loss of words because there are no words that are going to take away your pain. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking of you. I'm here. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I I like that. Um, You've also shared with me that sometimes when you want to um, express your feelings or make somebody understand how you're feeling, you can 
um, just allow them, allow them to understand when they do X, it makes you feel Y because they can't question your feelings necessarily, but you, it's a way of you bringing it to their attention. Right. I call it my, I call it the template and I, I'm not the first to invent it. A lot of good therapists use this technique, but it's very useful. It is very useful. A little bit of training, um, goes a long way. For example, um, so the template is when you, and then you fill in the blank with an action word that someone has done to you or around you. So when you dot, 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 then I feel, and you have to put your feeling in. And here's where a lot of people have such a hard time with this. People don't understand or they can't even access their own feelings sometimes. It's amazing. So quite often, I, and I've had to, you know, re-instruct people. It's, they'll say something like, when you ask me that question, I feel, and instead of saying, I feel vulnerable, I feel my, like, my privacy is not my own, or whatever your feeling is. They don't do that. So a lot of people do. When you ask me that question, I feel like you're so nosy. Putting it back on them. And the finger gets pointed out to the other person. That's not the template, people. <laughs> the template, take that finger and put it towards yourself. So when you, yes, you're pointing the finger out. When you do X, I feel, and then you have to know your feeling. I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel frustrated. I feel disappointed. Whatever it is. Right. And it could also work the other way, I'd imagine, to let people know when things go are going well. That's right? so funny that you say that because I was working with a young woman and I, she really has a hard time with accessing her feelings. So we're practicing mm -hmm. um, for this week. That was her homework. Doing it when things are positive. So she said to someone in her life, when you include me in your family events, mm -hmm. I feel so loved. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it will get the person to hear her feeling and, and want to continue to invite her into their family, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So yes, yeah, she's practicing in the positive. So yes, it can, it can work both ways. Yeah, it reinforces the positive and then it makes it sometimes easier for people to express and also to, for people to hear mm -hmm. something that isn't going as well. Right, and to be at the other end of it, when you hear someone's feeling versus them pointing out at you and calling you a jerk, you're hearing their feelings. How can you argue with someone's feelings? Yeah. You can't. Right. And it opens up and it, it opens up a dialogue for them to say, oh, I didn't mean that. Right. Or, well, I'm feeling frustrated because. And that either way, it opens up a conversation that allows people to come to some resolution. Correct. And the third part sometimes doesn't need to be said. It's implicit. But the third part of the template that can be used is, therefore, I need. Mm -hmm. So when you do X, X to me, X. I feel Y. Therefore, I need you to do ABC. Mm -hmm. 
All right. I love it. Okay. So we've talked a couple of times about, um, about your, your positive streak. And you are a very positive person. So I want to talk to you about the positivity element. Um, but why do you think, because it's easy to go negative. Why do you think positivity is so important? Um, well, it, it's important because you feel better when you're positive. Mm -hmm. But I do understand that not everyone is intrinsically positive. Like, you know, there's... I think I was born with a positivity. I think I got it from my dad, mm -hmm. um, who was an extremely positive person and always the word no, um, there was always a work around that, but in, in the best possible way. And I think we all have a choice. It's, it's hard though for some people. I don't want to sound like so pat and, you know, just choose positivity. Um, <laughs> right. And some people have to work, we have to work at it. Yeah. And so how can you, how, what can, what can you say to other people? So, yes, yeah, so what I say to a lot of, a lot of people I work with is imagine you're a movie director and you have a lens that you're looking through of a certain scene and the scene is a given. It was written by the, the writer, right? And you're just directing it or filming it or whatever you're doing and you're looking through a lens, you have a choice. Are you going to use the cloudy lens it, it, that, that, you know, that makes this seem very tragic and sad? Or is it possible that you can change the lens to one with a yellow tint or a rosy tint, like the rose-colored glasses, and look at the same scene with a positive spin? Like, every bad situation you can find something positive i know it sounds crazy but i look back on a time in my life that was really difficult which was when my dad was leaving this earth and he had a terminal illness and it was the most awful thing in the world of course it was and i wasn't going around kicking up my heels and i'm still not it still makes me really sad but when i was sitting with him as he was in the hospital going through all of this, I, I just was able to say, and even now looking back, like how special those times were that I had, I had the moments to, to be with him like that. Mm -hmm. I had a lot more support because my father was dying. So I had people to watch my kids <laughs> under normal circumstances, you know, who's watching my three kids. So I got a little bit of a respite from the kids and I was alone with my dad and we had lots of laughs, lots of deep conversations and lots of tears too. But it, it was my lens. I looked at it, it and I still do look at it as a very special time. Mm -hmm. Well, I wouldn't want it. I wish yeah. I didn't have to have it, but because I had it, it could, I, you can't change it. So it's all perspective. How are you going to look at it? Right. That's a really powerful message to end on, um, especially right now, but really at any time. So Leslie, thank you for sharing your positivity and your wisdom, because um, as I shared, you're a very special person and I really enjoyed our time. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you.